It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Stuart Vonney. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The president went to visit a critical OPEC member country. And while the administration did not say high gas prices were at the top of the agenda, the president did say he looks forward to increased oil production and said he's doing everything he can to increase supply. This administration has no strategy, and so far everything is at their feet as regards these high prices. I'm Dave Anthony. A new report underscores the chaos and confusion in the police response to the Uvalde, Texas school massacre. Every violation of protocol was done here. This is the keystone example of what not to do in a mass shooting, sadly. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Ahead of the president's trip to Saudi Arabia, a country with some of the largest oil reserves, administration officials and even the president had said this was a trip about advancing Middle East peace on several fronts. But after multiple questions, administration officials conceded energy security would, of course, be a topic. And in front of reporters in Jeddah, President Biden said, after listing a number of foreign policy related deals and discussions with the Saudi royal family members. We had a good we had a good discussion on ensuring global energy security and adequate oil supplies to support global economic growth. And that will begin shortly. I'm, and, uh, and I'm doing all I can to increase the supply for the United States of America, which I expect to happen. The next day, when he spoke to the Gulf Cooperation Council countries, he said even when they don't agree on everything, when countries subscribe to what he called the rules-based order, they can get a lot done together. On energy security, we agree on the need to ensure adequate supplies to meet global needs. Energy producers have already increased production. I look forward to seeing what's coming in the, in the coming months. But there was no commitment on increasing output out of this trip. OPEC Plus will meet August 3rd. And after the trip, the price of crude, which had been falling, shot back up to a little more than $100 a barrel. Not quite as high as when gas was $5 a gallon earlier this year. AAA said Monday the average for a gallon of regular was $4.52. Still, that's a lot higher than it was a year ago when it was $3.16. The administration says, isn't it great prices are down? But if you speak to the person trying to make ends meet in a household, 100 bucks to fill a, 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 a truck, they're struggling. Bill Cassidy is a Republican senator from Louisiana. You know, one of them said, why doesn't President Biden come live where real people live? Perhaps we should say is what could Biden do? Well, first, we know that we need more oil, but we also need more refinery capacity for a variety of reasons, including EPA regulatory hassle, as well as a means of financing when it comes to credits for renewable energy. There has been uh, hundreds of thousands of barrels of refining capacity that have gone offline in the last two years. And I think 400,000 barrels a day of refining capacity scheduled to go offline next year. The administration needs to increase oil supply, but also increase refinery capacity. Now they need to look at both simultaneously. Now, there's other ways we can get oil besides from the Middle East. We could import more from Canada. We could expand drilling on federal lands. We can increase supply of oil 
Now we have to look at other aspects of the supply chain, specifically refinery. This administration has no strategy, and so far everything is at their feet as regards these high prices. The U.S. Energy Envoy, um, Amos Hochstein, said it was regrettable to see profits from coal lately and that funds should be going toward investing in renewables. And we've heard folks in this administration talk before about how this is the time, right, to focus on renewables with these high prices. But then he said we have to make sure there's enough gas and LNG coming from the U.S. and other places to supply Europe um, because Russia's going to cut them off. Is the administration doing both, renewables and Uh, increasing gas production, at least on the gas front, maybe not oil. Again, this is a time when the Biden administration needs to come where real people live. An electric vehicle is tens of thousands of dollars more than a non-electric vehicle. Most people driving old cars are not driving old cars because they choose to. It's because they cannot afford a new one. And they really can't afford a new one with these high gas prices. So if you want to say, let them eat cake, yeah, that sounds like a great policy. But most folks would like to say, hey, I need my electric bill and my fuel costs lower now. Now, as regards liquefied natural gas, this often comes from the same place that oil comes from. And the more they tie up federal lands with red tape in terms of leasing and permitting and transporting that oil and gas, the less robust will be the oil and gas production in the United States. It just makes sense. You get a sense this administration has two warring camps. One knows we have to increase natural gas and the other wants to leave it in the ground. The person who's struggling right now needs to increase the amount of natural gas and oil. Can I ask you, the the Energy Information Administration said Monday, oil production in parts of Texas, New Mexico, North Dakota, and Montana are increasing and will be at their highest levels since March or April of 2020, right, as the pandemic began. Oil production is not the same as refining production or refining capacity. What are we to to make of this? If there's more oil being produced, which it sounds like there there is, um, I feel like you're the right person to ask, right? Louisiana has a lot of refineries. Can we expect, if there's an increase in oil production, more oil and, and thus lower prices shortly? You will get lower prices, but it won't be as direct because there's multiple points in lowering the price of fuel. Yes, you need more oil, but you also need adequate refinery capacity to process that oil into gasoline. About 95% of our refinery capacity is currently consumed with the oil that we have now. So yes, increase the amount of oil, but also we need to increase refinery capacity. It's what I spoke of earlier. There's been hundreds of thousands of gallons a day of gasoline production that's gone offline because of regulatory issues, as well as a financing issue related to the use of ethanol. The administration pushed these regulations and the demanded use of ethanol, and that's why we've lost this capacity. It's estimated that there'll be 400,000 barrels of refining capacity that goes offline between now and 2023, the end of 2023. So, yes, give us more oil, but also look at the refinery capacity. They've not looked at that, and that's limiting the effectiveness of increased production of oil at the lower prices. Oil analyst Phil Flynn was asked on Fox's America's Newsroom Monday about J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon's prediction that if Russia cuts Europe off from energy, the price of crude could go to $380 a barrel. Right now, it's a little over 100 
Flynn said in that event we'd be looking at $10 a gallon. Does that happen? It could happen. Of course, you know you'd have demand destruction so that people would not drive. Right. And the, there'd be a little bit of a feedback on that. But that certainly creates uncertainty. Uncertainty is bad for an economy. It is bad for the jobs that the people hold that make up that economy. So when we spoke earlier of increasing production, even if we don't have refinery capacity, it still helps. It still helps worldwide. And some of that oil will go elsewhere in the world, be refined and come back to the U.S. The best way to shape our destiny is to maximize North American oil and gas production that allows us to take care of ourselves, but also to help our allies. Right. And uh, and yes, Russia may shut it off. I don't think they will, but they may. In the meantime, let's do everything we can to increase our production so that we're not at their mercy. I want to ask you about the president's trip. He said in his speech to Arab leaders that the U.S. will not leave a vacuum in the Middle East to be filled by China and Russia. As you know, Air Force One did fly from Tel Aviv to Jeddah, and that came ahead of an announcement that Saudi Arabia would be opening airspace to commercial flights from Israel. Um, administration officials say this trip also helped cement a Saudi commitment to a, a truce in Yemen. The administration says there were some big foreign policy wins on this trip, uh, I guess, aside from the oil discussion. Were there? Oh, we don't know that. Yes, it would be great if the if the uncertainty related to the Yemen uh, issue is resolved. That would be good. Uh, but um, the administration is doing everything they can to claim victory, uh, major victories, when at best they're playing small ball. Um, if they get the Saudis to actually increase production, uh, get OPEC to increase production, uh, get a united front against Iran, uh, then all that would be positive. We'll have to wait and see. By the way, I hope they do. It's better for the world if the United States is in leadership, better for the United States if those things I mentioned happen. Uh, whether it happened, let's see. After this trip, NSC coordinator John Kirby said the Iran deal is ready to go, that it's just up to Iran to take it. And then we heard from the Ayatollah himself, I guess he told Al Jazeera and Qatar, uh, that they now have the technical ability to build a nuclear bomb. They're just now having to decide if they want to build one. I don't I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what you make of that. I don't think that Iran has ever been serious about limiting their nuclear ambitions. And when the Obama administration made the concessions that they did, um, I think they pocketed the money. They increased their activity throughout the Middle East in terms of Hezbollah, Hamas and terrorist activities directed against our troops and continue to work on their nuclear program. Uh, JCPOA, uh, I am very Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that made much of a difference. And I suspect there's hardliners within their administration that don't want to sign it because they want unrestricted ability to further their nuclear ambitions. We have to recognize that and our policy should adjust um, as needed. And Putin is uh, going to Iran this week. Uh, well, Iran is sending Putin uh, drones, drones right now. And so they are directly helping the Russian war effort. One that tells you that Russia is running out of stuff. That's a good thing. Uh, but two, it further solidifies Iran and Russia as being on the other side of every free country in the world. And with China also saying their friendship with Russia or their cooperation with Russia has no limits. Uh, are we looking at, uh, I guess, these three countries sort of working together? 
The United States needs a global strategy how to take on these tyrants. Now, uh, we were taught we started off talking about energy. We could have also talked about climate change. We could have also talked about we've already talked about the economy. I've pointed out that you've got that there's a nexus between energy, climate, national security and the economy of a family and the economy of a country. If you ignore one of those, you lose all four. Now, our administration needs a strategy where we're maximizing energy production, where it's going to be produced in the United States or Western Europe, where we have the highest environmental standards. It strengthens our economy and it weakens the economy of our enemies. It strengthens the pocketbook of a family, which is another way to strengthen us. And all that helps our national security. We need that comprehensive strategy. This administration has not yet produced it. Senator Cassidy of Louisiana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate it. Sick of the one-size-fits-all method when it comes to health care, especially when it comes to your ED treatment? Well, good news. Now you've got options with Hims. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatments such as chewable mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for less. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you for free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time to join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com rundown. That's H-I-M-S dot rundown for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com rundown. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety or effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. What went wrong in Uvalde, Texas? Multiple systemic failures. In the law enforcement response to the May 24th elementary school massacre. There were many officers at that scene who were either denied access to the building, were told misinformation, some were even told false information. Republican State Rep Dustin Burroughs led a Texas House investigation that ended with a 77-page report. There was chaos on the scene. With none of the 376 responding officers in charge. Several officers in the hallway or in that building knew or should have known there was dying in that classroom. And they should have done more, acted with urgency. The city also released more police body cam footage. Okay, guys, he's on inside this building. We have him de- contained. Then as time passed, they found out. victims in the room with him? A child on the phone, multiple victims. A child just called if they have victims in there. We called 911. Video also shows officers rescuing students from other classrooms. Let's get these kids out of here. Let's get these kids out of here. Pulling them out of the windows, but. 
the gunman remained in his room with his victims. These guys, they didn't do their job, so they must be held accountable just like we're all held accountable for our job. Mitch Renfro's nephew Uzziah was one of the 19 students murdered. Two teachers were also killed. And we still can't shake it. You know, it's like a bad dream that you're not going to wake up from. Victims' families demand accountability because it took more than an hour for police to finally get into the classroom to kill the gunman. In essence, there was no command and control. There was nobody really in charge. State Senator Roland Gutierrez is a Democrat who represents Uvalde's district. While it does acknowledge that Mr. Arredondo should have been according to the school district protocols, it also acknowledges that the state government with a higher firepower, more ammunition, more resources should have jumped in at some point. The federal government should have jumped in at some point. Indeed, there was at least five, six other agencies that had more ammunition and resources than the six people, than the six person police department of the school district. Right. And I know the mayor of Uvalde has been upset that sometimes these other agencies, like in the state level or even with the Border Patrol were not called out like like his officers were for their response. In the end, this report talks about 376 officers on scene, yet it took 77 minutes from the beginning to finally killing the gunman in the classroom. We need to figure out the hows and the whys. The mayor and I have been very upfront with people on this notion that there needs to be accountability. Let the chips fall where they may. And I have personally, I mean, I've sued the Department of Public Safety because they have not answered a po- open records request that I asked him. Uh, they did not respond appropriately or in kind or they did not put out the, the required exceptions. And so we've got court on August the 4th so that we can find out what it is that was going on in their minds. We know what we see on a video, which is the Texas Ranger walking around with the game warden behind him. But we see him on the phone. Who's he on the phone with for 20 minutes? Who's making those decisions within the Department of Public Safety? Uh, At what point does that not go to the very top of the food chain there? And someone says, go in or don't go in. And why didn't they say those things? Yeah, with all those officers there, The lack of command, obviously, structure is very important on a scene like that. If Pete Arredondo doesn't believe the, you know, the the chief of police for the schools doesn't believe he's in charge, then who who would he think would be? Well, I'll tell you this. You know, I asked Steve McCraw in his cross-examination when I cross-examined him in the Senate committee. uh, I said, well, were your officers listening to Pete Arredondo? He said no. All right. This is the Texas State Patrol, right? That's correct. So if his officers aren't listening to the supposed incident commander, then how are we supposed to believe he's the incident commander? And nobody had any working radios inside of that building. The radios simply did not work. No 911 calls from those children were coming to anybody inside. You would think that someone outside would go out and say, hey, there's kids in there. They're still alive. And indeed, at some point that did finally happen. But to the point of the report, and there are some good things in the report, which is it acknowledges that that everyone's at fault. There was no inside command, nor was there an outside incident command. There's all this talk about how they were waiting for shields and equipment, but in this report, it seems like some barricades or shields arrived well before they finally went into the classroom. Is that something you're looking into as well? Yeah, absolutely. The shields were there. We had plenty of shields. What we needed was some courage. Uh, What we needed was a working radio system. This community has been asking for the radios to be repaired in this community, this seven county area. 
for the last seven years, and fortunately, it's fallen on deaf ears. Yeah, um, you said we needed courage. There have been people who've accused some of these officers of essentially being cowards, taking their own lives into account to not go in to save the kids. Do you believe that there were officers who were too afraid? I mean, it's really a harsh statement, isn't it? But at the end of the day, you and I aren't, aren't cops. You no. know, we decided to go into our professions. Right. You know, I took, I took an oath as a lawyer. You take an oath as a journalist, you know, to your, to your profession itself. And so if you, go, if you go on and you say, I'm going to be a cop, then be a cop. You're there to protect and serve. And every violation of protocol was done here. This is the keystone example of what not to do in a mass shooting. Sadly, uh, it's happened here in our community in, in Texas. Do you believe that some of the victims could still be alive today if, say, it was 20 minutes or 30 minutes earlier? Did they bleed to death, do you believe? So I'll, I'll tell you an example of uh, Maya Zamora. She's alive. She was shot five times. She's on her 20th surgery, still in the hospital. She's got about three more weeks to go. Wow. And she's just a miracle baby, this little girl. Uh, visited her, visited her parents. who were just wonderful, hardworking people. Uh, had they waited five more minutes, she might not be with us today. There was two other children that were shot once. Uh, one through the lower back, she likely bled out. You know, Eva Morales, the teacher, she bled out on the way to the hospital. And it's just a shame. It's just a shame. Have you heard the rationale for why they would treat the gunman as a barricaded suspect as opposed to an active shooter situation? If you read the report uh, in in, uh, Arredondo's thinking, he gets in this mind frame of protecting everybody else, all the other kids, cornering this guy. One of the guys thinks that the guy's cornered inside of an office and not a classroom. It was simply confusion, chaos, and ignorance. Um, Arredondo does at least need to be fired. Uh, I mean, there's no reason to keep this guy on board any longer, and that's just plainly clear. How do you think they'll decide who among the officers there should face some sort of charge or discipline? I want to have more data and more information as to find out who knew what, when, and where with the Department of Public Safety. We had 91 DPS troopers on site. 12 of them were in that hallway, milling around like everybody else. Where were they getting their cues from? Because it wasn't from Arredondo. So where were they getting their cues from? And therefore, those people should be held accountable. Uh, Criminally, I don't think so, but certainly maybe losing their jobs or being suspended from their jobs, absolutely. Absolutely. On the criminal side, what you're going to find the difficulty in is, is, is that we have something called the law of parties in Texas. The minute you indict one, you better indict, be ready to indict all of them, everybody in that hallway, because they all stood there and did absolutely nothing. All right. So this was happening essentially at the end of the school year. Schools start up in Texas in August, right? In just a couple of weeks? In, in well, in Uvalde specifically on August 15th and August 17th in most, most districts. Yeah, less than a month from now. So... What has been done? What might be changed protocol-wise for schools across Texas if this happens again? So the first thing that I'm asking you to do, and I want your listeners to understand, I listen, I represent Southwest Texas. I'm a gun owner myself. I don't have an AR-15. But this governor needs to call us back for a special session to raise the age limit to 21. You have to be 21 to buy a 9mm pistol, but you can be 18 to get an AR-15. I think the most conservative Republicans are actually in agreement with me on this. And so that's something that we can do very easily 
and get in and get out and do something that would be very meaningful here. And unfortunately, this governor doesn't want to do that. From another perspective, the school district needs to make some significant changes, at least with their local school district police. But again, I'm not I'm not responsible for them. You would think that they would probably put one officer per campus. They had about seven campuses or eight campuses and they only had the six officers. And so I would imagine that they need to make some changes. School hardening next session needs to happen in a big way. We're spending $4 billion in one year on the border. We should have put $4 billion into our schools. And so we've got a lot of work to do in this space, uh, a lot of work and very little time, to your point. Where will elementary school kids go in Uvalde? They're going to put them in schools at the other campuses. They're spreading them around. Uh, I believe that we're looking at uh, raising the school in November and then beginning construction, hopefully that they can get in back into a new school uh, as soon as the early part of uh, next fall of 23. This new report on the Uvalde, Texas massacre also shed more light on the killer. Salvador Ramos, who was 18 and had dropped out of school, he shot and wounded his own grandmother right before going on the rampage at Robb Elementary, a school he himself attended in fourth grade, where the report says he was bullied and made fun of. Later, as Ramos started wearing all black, those he interacted with started calling him school shooter as a nickname. He watched graphic and violent videos online and even gave hints to a few people about a big plan and how he might make a name for himself. But Ramos had no criminal record and bought his guns legally. No one raised red flags. I think that there was plenty. I mean, we we heard from his uncle in that report that, you know, took him to that gun shop twice, didn't really ask what was in the box. That's pretty bad. We've heard that he had an incident, you know, a year prior with, you know, a a girlfriend or friend. And, And so that, again, nobody saw that. There's also should be, I think, some kind of moral red flag on the store owner. If you've got a kid that maybe doesn't look quite right, and I know that that's not fair to say, but, you know, you've got a kid that comes in one day, picks up an AR, uh, spends $1,800, uh, picks up $1,600 worth of ammunition the next day, and on day three comes and picks up the AR-15 that he ordered online. At some point, when does that gun owner in a small town, because this isn't a big city, then call the local sheriff and say, hey, sheriff, we've got a problem here. Uh, something weird has happened. This kid's either going to go do something bad or he's going to sell these to the cartels because we're so close to the border. And that does happen. But unfortunately, there was no questioning here and and a lot of a lot of missed opportunities for sure. State Senator Roland Gutierrez, who represents District 19 in Texas. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. use oxygen therapy to breathe? If you've been prescribed oxygen, you know the problems that come with it when you're tied to an oxygen tank or concentrator. Going out of the house is a burden and nobody likes to be stuck inside alone. Now you can live life on the go with a lightweight Inogen portable oxygen concentrator. Inogen is oxygen therapy that moves with you. Travel around the corner or on board an aircraft with an Inogen portable oxygen concentrator that provides the medical grade oxygen your doctor prescribed in a device that weighs less than five pounds. Inogen's longest lasting device delivers 12 hours of oxygen on a single battery charge. 
Call now to speak with an Indigen Oxygen Specialist and learn how you can try an Indigen risk-free for 30 days. Give us a call right now, 1-800-245-9878. Don't manage a heavy tank when you leave the house. With Indigen, you can get the oxygen you need with a system that's so small and light, it goes almost anywhere. Learn how you can experience an Indigen system for yourself risk-free. Call now, 1-800-245-9878. Indigen devices are by prescription only. Battery run times vary by device and setting usage. Terms and conditions apply. For safety information, visit Inogen.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? Major League Baseball's All-Star Game goes off tonight in Los Angeles, and millions of people will be watching. Partly because they love baseball, and mostly because this is the one time they don't have to be ashamed of who they voted for. That's right. For those of you who don't know, the All-Star team is voted in by the fans, and unlike elections, the results won't change in the middle of the night or a week from now when the mail-in votes get here. That's not how it works in baseball, which was our national pastime before it was replaced by fighting on Twitter. Now, to me, the All-Star Game has always been a big deal because I grew up in a baseball house where we always cheered for professional teams like the Yankees, but we also made time for college teams like the Mets. Don't get me wrong, the Mets are doing fine now, but so is the Titanic the first three nights of the cruise. My point being, we've seen this movie before. But the All-Star Game is not about winning it all, it's about celebrating it all. Every big-name player in the country on one field at one time, it's like the jam session at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, minus the contact high from all the weed. And like some old-time rock and roll, the All-Star Game will give you a three-hour escape from all the chaos in the country right now. No political fights, no battles over border security. Heck, you won't even think $5 gas is expensive after watching people drink $20 beers in the stands. What I'm trying to say is even if you hate baseball, the All-Star Game is still a home run because it's a celebration of our country that dates back to the decades where Babe Ruth was hitting homers and Mickey Mantle was hitting the bottle. You'll see the legacy of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier and Bo Jackson breaking a bat over his knee after he struck out. And at a time where our president is shaking hands with invisible people, you'll see the most talented players on the planet shaking hands with each other over the fact that for one night, the entire country is on the same team. And if all that kumbaya feel-goodery is just too much to bear, you can always log back on the Twitter and slug it out with those maniacs. Myself, I'm playing nine innings, and I hope to see you there. Play ball. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to three on the Fox News app or foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.